Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. And uh, I want to speak today into a thought that I began to unfold just a few weeks ago about the good news that we have to share, that indeed, it's very good news. And I want to speak to us in the context of Aussie theology. And when I say that, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but the fact is, I do believe it's a thing. Uh, I think that for most Australians, whether God is in there, they're thinking about the future, the afterlife or not, even if their frame of reference is simply the universe. I do believe that most Aussies hold a, a kind of a viewpoint that there's like a, a balance. There's heavenly scales, if you could put it that way. And if I just do more good than bad, then no matter what happens next, I'm going to be OK. And of course, I'm speaking about people maybe outside of faith. Uh, I just think it's a bit of a thought in the community that's held by most people. But what I find funny is that I think a lot of Christians, uh, they shouldn't, but they do think that way too. They do ask themselves the question, uh, what does God really think about me and the way that I'm living my life? How does God really feel about me? And I think that all people have a certain element of that and that's what we hold in common. So I want to speak into that today and I want to use what is a, a wonderful story. It's, it's a, a wonderfully weird story out of Genesis chapter 15 and, and God relating to a man called Abram. As we know, he would later on be named Abraham, uh, the father of faith as we understand him in the New Testament. But here in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 15, we see one of God's early interactions with Abraham. And I want to look at this story. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 7, and I've got a number of verses. I'm going to look at some of them together. Some of them uh, we're going to look at as we go through. And uh, verse 7 says, Then the Lord said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. That was where Abraham once lived with his father's house. Verse 8 says, But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And so Abraham, you know, has this experience with God making promises, but Abraham's not really sure whether God will follow through. And again, I think that's a that's a common thread, uh, even for people of faith. The big question for all of us is, how do I know if God will do what he actually said he would do. How do I know that God is as good as I'm meant to believe that he is? Uh, and I think we can, if we're honest, we, we do ask ourselves that question at times, often because we tend to live with contradiction. Uh, contradictions in a number of areas. You know, maybe you wrestle with a chronic health issue, something that's been with you for quite some time, and you, you're just wondering, why, why me, God? Uh, it could be in this current financial state of being. It could be a financial pressure. Uh, if you're in business, business has been tough for a lot of people. Uh, maybe you've even lost your employment during this time. And, uh, and it, it doesn't look like it's going to move anytime soon for many people. So that's something you could be struggling with for quite some time. 
Uh, it could be a contradiction in the area of relationships where it's like, I just wish this would work, but I've got these relational difficulties and I'm really struggling with it. And we begin to ask ourselves the question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? I think that's just an honest answer or an honest question to ask. And this is exactly where Abram was at. God, how do I know that you're going to look after me and that you're going to follow through? And then we pick the story up again in verse 9 and 10. And the Lord says to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So Abram presented these to him and he killed them. And then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half, and we might see why in just a moment. Now, I know to our modern sensibilities, this is like just, this is a horror story. Um, uh, but this was actually a, an ancient custom, an ancient way of cutting what they called a covenant um, that predated Abram. Uh, this was understood in ancient culture. And what a covenant is, it's promises, it's an agreement, it's an absolute commitment to something with another party. And this is how they would do it. They would create literally a walk of blood when they cut those animals in half. And then the two parties would generally join hands and they would walk in this bloody path, making promises to one another, making commitments to one another. And of course, it was a really, really serious affair. Um, what they were basically saying was, if I break my promise, then let me be like these animals. Let my life be torn in half. Now, remember, Abraham had asked the question, how will I know that you'll do what you're promising me you'll do? And this is where God met Abraham. He met him in the language of the day. And, uh, and Abraham finds himself in this incredibly uh, poignant, this moment uh, that held so much gravitas with God himself in uh, this whole walk of blood. This is, by the way, where we get the saying to cut a deal. Uh, this is where most, most people believe the saying came from was this ancient uh, covenant. And we see God's interaction with man through a number of different covenants, these agreements through scripture. And even though each one has its own unique uh, conditions, its own unique promises, there's a common strand in every one of them all the way to the New Testament. Uh, and that is that God is moving to engage man, even when man or mankind, if I could put it that way, is, is headed in a different direction. God is moving to engage man and he does that through covenant. Now, I want to move on to verse 17. I'm going to skip a little bit of scripture there because there's a lot of good stuff in there, but, but we just don't have time to cover it. I want to hit verse 17 because this is where they seal the deal. And this is what I want to draw our attention to. It says, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the two halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. And, and he goes on with other things. But I just want to rewind and focus back on this portion 
And I want to introduce this thought. God is kinder than you think. When it comes to the good news and what what God has done for us, God reaching out to us, I believe God is is way kinder than we think. It's not about some big heavenly scales and uh, you know performing to a certain moral standard. God has actually reached out to us, and we see it beautifully in this passage. And then this passage is reflected right into the New Testament. Here's what I want to draw your attention to. Abram saw a smoking firepot, which which most people who study this passage say would be like an oven. Like a, let's imagine a camp oven and a hurricane lamp or a, or a lantern going through this walk of blood. And we understand that to be representative of the presence of God. What's interesting is that Abraham doesn't walk the walk. That God actually does this alone. Even though Abraham's not in there making promises back to God, the covenant is cut. It's established. It says so clearly in that verse. So how? How could the covenant be cut when one of the parties is not there? One of the parties did not walk through you know, that, that blood-soaked ground. It's because God cut the covenant with himself. God agreed to uphold both ends of the deal, his end and Abraham's end. And it's a beautiful picture of what an everlasting covenant is. As a matter of fact, several places in Scripture, as God renews the covenant with mankind, he continuously calls it the everlasting covenant, not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old. So it's like a continuation. What Jesus did is a continuation of what always was. It's an everlasting thing. And I'll tell you why. Because if man didn't cut it, Man can't break it. It's not to do anything to do with our performance. That's what this passage is telling us. And we know that as, as, you know, modern believers in Jesus Christ, we know we have a covenant with God. Jesus said that his covenant was also made with his own blood. Uh, we, we use the, the metaphor, I guess, sometimes of coming to the foot of the cross. Even when we come to, to open our hearts in faith to Jesus. It's like we're coming to that point where he laid down his life for us. And of course, the foot of the cross is also, you know, symbolic of blood-soaked ground where Jesus poured his life out for us. This is what makes it an everlasting covenant. And because God made that covenant with himself, we can't break it. He has covenanted toward us. He's reached out to us and wants to bring us into relationship with him and it doesn't depend on our performance it doesn't depend on some you know weird set of heavenly scales and doing more good than bad in romans chapter 8 verse 3 paul actually says this he says the law of moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, we would just blow it. If our covenant was based on just being good and doing right and fulfilling requirements, we could never do it. So God did, Paul goes on, what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies or like the sinful bodies 
that we have. And Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live and laid it down on our behalf. He literally circumvented our human weakness. He went around what was weak in us, made a covenant that was eternal, established with himself, with his own son. And he removed the certainty of human failure from the equation. Man, I love this. God is kinder than you think. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Paul says God was in Christ. Here we have the two parties. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So I love this. God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, God never had the problem. God was never the angry one. We were. God was never the one who moved away from the table of relationship. We were. And yet God came in the form of Jesus once again, just like he did with Abraham saying, I will underwrite the whole thing. It's not going to depend on your performance. It's going to depend on my kindness and on my goodness. It's a word that we use in the New Testament called grace. Unmerited favor, undeserved, unearned favor from God. Man, this is good news. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. I'm just shooting out a few New Testament verses for us. Uh, it basically tells us that our lives are hidden in Christ. Our old life is dead and our real life now is found in Jesus and our lives are hidden in God in Christ. Do you know what that means? That means that when Jesus looks at you or he looks at me, he doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see our lack. Hey, come on. We all know we've got that. He doesn't see that. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. He sees the life that Jesus lived on our behalf. Um, I love this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. And Paul says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He has covenanted to himself an eternal agreement, an eternal promise that can never be broken by a human heart. Uh, Romans chapter 8, I think this is why Paul can say this. He says it so boldly. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels, demons. He goes on, fears for today, worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is kinder <laughs> than you think. And I wonder, you know, when it, Paul talks about all these things that can't separate us, I wonder if even our own failures fall into that category. And, and I'd suggest that Abraham's story or Abram's story as he made that initial covenant with God, I think that it answers the question with a resounding yes. But, you know, that would make some people ask, well, what if I don't want to live right? So does this mean that there's, there's no penalty, there's no punishment if I just want to live however I want because God's just accepted me 
the way I am, uh, warts and all. And I think we need to understand that the question Jesus asks is not, do you want to be good or bad? I mean, think about this. The knowledge of good and evil has never been helpful for mankind. Uh, If you trace it back, that's where all our problems began in the garden. So the knowledge of good and evil is not what Jesus is interested in. Remember, Jesus is not a schoolmaster. Jesus is a physician. He's a doctor. The question Jesus asks is, do you want to be made whole or do you want to be made well? Now, that is a far better question because this is not about a moral code uh, identifying who's in or who's out. This is about reclaiming our lives. This is about moving back towards that original vocation created in the image of God to reflect God's goodness to all of creation. And Part of that is the good news story that we've got to tell that God has come. He has made a covenant that can't be broken and he just is asking you to open your heart and enter in and then allow him to work in you. When you think about it, a focus on obeying moral codes of some kind is aiming so low that we spend the rest of our time in the dust of our humanity trying to make that work. And anyone who's ever wrestled with their own human flesh, their own human frailty, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know what? I love this. Jesus has a far more compelling vision. Ephesians chapter one, he talks about the whole purpose of God is to bring together all things in Christ. That that begins with our lives. As we hand our lives back to God, we allow Jesus space in our lives. He begins to pull all the broken and scattered fragments back together in our lives. And then he wants to use our lives to help others reclaim their own. The question is not about being good or bad. The question is about, do you really want to live? Do you really want to reclaim your own life? Um, And I love that. And he invites each one of us into this, not not as a come to church and behave like a good Christian should, not that at all, but a far more sweeping vision that's compelling both to the compassionate heart and to the adrenaline junkie alike. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus has a mission for us to fulfill, and he charges us to lift our vision and, and, and move from our present entanglement with dust and wood and things of brick and tin and lift our eyes because we've got lives that he wants us to reclaim and to live for his purpose. So I want to finish today with a few questions to help us process some of those thoughts. Uh, the first one is a very broad question, but You know, do you, be honest, do you struggle with feelings of guilt and failure, even as a child of God? You know, even if you're here and you've got faith in Jesus already, but you struggle with that. You know, basically feel like your relationship with God dips in and out at times. Maybe you question whether you've done enough acting right to make God happy. Uh, That's a question we've got to ask ourselves. Remember, God's kindness doesn't depend necessarily on our performance. Uh, That leads to another question. Are you ready for more than just wrestling with the dust of your humanity? Are you ready for more than that? Do you want more than that? 
Because I believe God offers that to us today. Uh, Here's another question. Will you accept pure grace? And by pure grace, I guess what I'm saying is, do you really believe that, that there's nothing you could do that would make God love you more? And conversely, there's nothing you could do that would actually make him love you less. Because his grace, his goodness is not based, again, on our performance. How do you go with that? Can you embrace pure grace? Uh, Another question, how would accepting that truth change the way you share the gospel with others, the way you share the good news with others? You know, I I wonder whether it's actually possible to, to actually fully communicate just how kind God is, just how good God is, no matter where people's lives are at. Uh, and my last question, and, and maybe you're here and you don't claim to have a relationship with God, but you're with us today and you're very, very welcome. Um, if you don't claim to have a relationship with God, can you accept that the, the cross of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did and giving his life for us, is evidence of his love, his acceptance, and his forgiveness towards you right now. Because that was the whole purpose of the cross, was to display to us the love of God, a love that is irresistible, a love that, that um, compels us to respond to him if we open our hearts to it. So I'd like to pray for us today. I pray that obscure story that we started in Abraham, we, we ended up at, at the feet of Jesus. I hope it reveals some of the heart of God to each of us, that, that God has removed the element of human failure so that we can continue in an ongoing relationship with him that truly transforms our lives from the inside out. So let me pray for you today. I want to pray for everyone. Father, I I just thank you for every heart, every life under the sound of my voice. And I I pray for us all today, Father, for a a fresh revelation of the depth of your love and maybe an elevated understanding of just how kind you are. I pray we could embrace that today in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're with us today and that last question was particularly for you, you know, you wouldn't say that you've practiced faith in Jesus at this point in your life. Or maybe you have in the past, but that has become a thing of the past. I'd like to give you the opportunity right now. Why don't you open your heart? If you could accept that what Jesus did on the cross in giving his life was a declaration of God's love for you. And you want to receive that love. You want to receive the forgiveness. You want to receive the acceptance that comes through that. Then I want to encourage you right now. Why don't you just open your heart, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're listening, whatever whatever screen you're behind right now. Why don't you just open your heart right where you are to God and just say, God, I want, I want you to come into my life. I want Jesus to come into my heart and begin to to change me from the inside out. Help me to understand your love for me, your acceptance of me, your forgiveness for my past, and and bring me into a future. And just while you're in that moment, you might want to say things to God like, I am sorry about some of the things I've messed up in my life. I, I want to move on 
from some of the brokenness of my past and live a life that's different. And, and I'm looking to you, God, to help me do that. Um, that's a great way to pray. They're the kind of prayers that, that God rushes to answer. And so uh, if you've done that today, friend, there'll be a link uh, or there'll be a comment made by, by someone who's online with us right now. And uh, if, if you like that comment or you click on the link, then that will lead you somewhere where we can help you on your journey. So we'd really love to get a free Bible to you somehow, whether that's in the post or we can drop it off to you if, you, if you're conveniently located. Um, we just want to empower your journey. Uh, so thanks for being with us, everyone. God bless you and have a fantastic week.